Hey folks, and welcome to the first episode of season four of The Prestige. In past seasons, we have looked at directors, we looked at franchises, and we've even looked at for season one, we just picked random films we liked. We have, for season four, so to do something different. We are diving into one genre at a time, ten films at a time. So we'll be looking at different genres over the next year, and we're looking at 10 films within that genre, and doing a deep dive on the history, on the themes of the tropes of that genre, um, and other things that sort of that come up from it, and the way those genres twist and turn over the over the years, basically. But as always, we start the show with what else we've been watching, the other shows, other things we've been kind of enjoying, normally in the last week, but given we've had a bit of break for Christmas and our countdown, I'm going to throw it a little wider. So, Sam, what else have you caught up on recently that you'd like to mention? Well, because I'm living in 2014 at the moment, um, I, I've just started watching 30 Rock. Uh, <laughs> And I, I'm well aware that everyone else in the world has seen this, but just come to Thirty Rock for the first time. Um, and we're a couple of episodes into it. I'm not sure, but it, it, it's quite quite an easy watch. And Alec Baldwin's good, and Tina Fey's good, but I don't know. It, it feels a little bit dazed to me. I'm not sure whether we will continue with it. Um, in terms of other things we've watched over the break, um, a lot of terrible TV. Um, we watched something the other day called The Greatest Dancer, which appeared to be just Britain's Got Talent slash The X Factor slash The Voice uh, with people dancing. So I, I have absolutely no recommendations for anything good. <laughs> Um, although over the Christmas break I did go and see Mary Poppins, which I lauded already in our review of 2018. Nothing else there. Excellent. I, I'm, I'm with you a bit on 30 Rock. I watched the first season of 30 Rock um, and I, I enjoyed it, but I never went back. Mm. Um, my, my last week has been a, a tale of two halves. Um, the first movie I watched was Venom, um, the latest in the... D, well, not even the DC universe. Just a, 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 it's not even it's a Marvel movie, but it's kind of in a different sort of different world, different uh, universe to the rest of them. Uh, starring Tom Hardy, it didn't get great reviews when it came out, and I would probably echo those. It was fine. It was a good, enjoyable, you know, movie to watch with my family, but I would watch it again. It makes some really weird editing choices, some really weird characters. There's some brilliant effects in it, certainly. It's one of those few films where I think certain scenes would look brilliant in 3D. Certain stuff with, with Venom's sort of uh, sort of oil-like physique uh, would look great in 3D. Um, but apart from that, it was fun but forgettable. The other film I was going to mention this week is a film called Summer of 84. If you've seen Stranger Things... It's very much in that, you know, teenagers on bikes genre that has kind of exploded in the last few years. Uh, but rather than being supernatural beings from another world, like it is in Stranger Things, it is a serial killer. What if your next door neighbour was a serial killer and the only people who believed you were your three best friends from the neighbourhood? And it is a very 80s set, very 80s inspired, E.T.-esque, kids on bikes adventure um, with a serial killer on the loose. It's very good. It's very in that kind of moment in the style. Um, so your mileage may vary depending on how much you'd like that style. But for me, I very much enjoyed it. As Rob said, we're going genre by genre this season and we are doing devoting a season to 
the genre of martial arts films. And we start with the probably the earliest example of this. It's the 1925 film Orochi. a silent film by Bintaro Vodagawa and it stars Sumasa Buro Bando I haven't seen that um, who was a, a fated Japanese actor of the time this is probably his most famous film most beloved film um, and he was at the height of his fame at this time and it tells a story of a samurai although not a samurai, a, a ronin, a, a samurai not attached to a school who falls on hard times for a number of reasons and it's his various relationships with certain characters that he meets along the way and his fate, what happens to him at the end. Um, Rob, what were your thoughts on Orochi? I really, really enjoyed this film. Yeah, it, it kind of... I, I'll start again. As we mentioned last season, when we talked about the early work of Hitchcock, I think it was, um, that the early, early films, you've got to take a pinch of salt sometimes, because they come from a different time, they have a different meter, they have a different kind of cinematic language that audience at the time expected. And so sometimes when you watch them, you think, well, this is very good, but it just doesn't click with me in the way that modern films do, because we are raised differently to different films. But I really, really enjoyed this. It is very stilted in the way that sort of black and white period, these films can be of this period where they are kind of, it's all told through interstitials rather than through sort of dialogue as we expect it to be. But I really much enjoyed it. I think, you know, it, it, this film, kind of region, it kind of comes out of a very sort of proscenium arch theatre style. So it's very sort of episodic in sort of the things that happen. But... It had some amazing fight scenes. There's, there's a fight scene in this, which we'll touch more on later when we kind of talk more about the film, in which um, the main samurai, the, 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 the sort of the outlaw, fights maybe 40, 50 men. Um, and all I could think about is how I could draw a line through time from that scene all the way through to like the Matrix fights when Neo fights the thousands of Agent Smithers. Mm. And it's just that the, the action in this was amazing. And often we think of these old films being very austere um, and very kind of thing, but this felt really alive, especially in the fights, it felt really alive as a movie. Um, I'm sure it's pulling on loads of tradition that I'm not aware of, especially in things like Kabuki cinema, which I don't know much about, um, and Japanese art that I don't know about at all. So there's a lot of references in here, lots of stylings that I'm probably not getting everything from, but I very much enjoyed it. Mm. What about you, Sam? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean... Just reading up a bit about it, and it was this film was sort of a break from that kabuki style, from sort of more traditional, florid, classical Japanese styles. Um, and I thought, I mean, I, I can see what you're saying that there is something quite stilted about the silent filmmaking with the with the title cards and everything. But 
it was something uh, it felt really quite dynamic um, I was just thinking of that that scene right at the beginning with the protagonist's accusation this Heisenberg's accusation right at the beginning when he's mm. brought in front of the sensor and it was just I mean you almost didn't notice that it was a silent film um, and it, it was almost as if the narration was was taking place in the scene sort of mm. um, yeah, it was as you said you can you can draw a line between the fight scenes and then you, you mentioned the matrix I, I was thinking particularly of sort of early early samurai films of the 1950s so things like Seven Samurai and and then I'm sure we'll, we'll see that later in the season as we touch on those but it, it was very obvious that I mean what Fredegar has done here is has been drawn on heavily in later decades mm. yeah I mean that that was the thing that really struck me watching it is that how many of these and we'll talk more on this later when we get into recommendations. How much of the sort of storyline, the plot of this movie, this could be a modern movie. Mm. In the same way, I mean, we talked about, I think, The Secret Garden, when we watched Hitchcock. That, that movie was of its time, and like there isn't a story there to be passed on to modern day. Whereas this, the idea of a disgraced samurai thrown out into the world, and the people he comes up against, that's a modern movie. That's a very modern movie. Mm. And you and I will I will elaborate more on this already later, but there are movies that I can highlight that are essentially this movie set in different times and places. And I was really kind of really sort of really blown away by that. I was really impressed with the idea that this, this movie, you can see the echoes of everything in this movie down through time. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting over the board here a little bit, but kind of both Sam and I, we picked this movie because it was the earliest thing we could find. We didn't know much about it. We didn't go into it. It was kind of like, you know, we're doing martial arts films. This is the one of the earliest we can find. It's what the one that Wikipedia lists as the first martial arts film it lists. So I went into it not expecting a lot, but I was really, really happy with this. Really happy with this choice. Um, and I think that I, I, I won't try and pronounce the, the full name, but Bando, the, uh, the main character, he brought a real pathos to the movie because getting into spoilers here guys like the he, his tale is a tale of tragedy and woe like he he loves two women and gets neither of them um everyone he turns to everyone he trusts betrays him and betrays that trust um and every time he thinks he's found some solid ground in his life he loses it and it, it is very almost shakespearean in the way that tragedy on tragedy is piled on this guy um but he brings that kind of a bit of sort of I don't know what the word for it is. Like, like, always, always want to stay a stiff upper lip, but I suppose that kind of Japanese resolve, that samurai resolve to these situations, and if the film, the film works brilliantly, and it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't mythologize the samurai, which some of these films can. You know, the, the, the other samurais were not as honourable as he was, but it gives him honour in a way that doesn't. It seems almost human and real. Mm. I, I I was really impressed by this film, but and I was waiting for you to mention it because I didn't know how early we wanted to go with spoilers, but there was something brilliant about the fact that this film ends badly for Heisenberg, mm. and I, I, I love that. I was sort of kind of waiting with my 
sort of 2018 film goers head on, waiting for sort of a genuine where things are right. And he, I mean, he, he finds out that maybe Ocho is not married, or he was he was mistaken mm. about that, or now maybe his husband dies, or just something happens, and then everything everything's right for him. And just there was something beautiful about the fact that it wasn't. And life is hard, and life is painful, and sometimes good men suffer. Not just good mm-hmm. men, but good women are trapped in situations where they don't want to be and can't get out of it. And there was something brilliant. And I was, I was thinking actually, um, towards the end, with the scenes between Osher and Highsborough's um, new master, when there was something very very modern about sort of the way that her female identity was sort of it, it, it felt very hashtag me too the way mm. she was presented in in that scene where she she was sort of dominated and possessed by someone and he he wanted to have his way and then in in the scenes just before that, when Heisberg himself sort of intrudes onto her her room, and there was something sort of delightfully complicated about the fact that he was his his inner demon was pursuing him was was forcing mm. him to do something bad to her. So I love I those different a- explorations of sort of female identity, male identity, and complicated pol- sexual politics there. I think, I mean, it's this this arrogance that comes with being a modern film viewer that we often think, well, you know, like films these days, have, they, they're the ones who've kind of, we've turned things on their heads and we're having bad endings and anti-heroes and, you know, strong female characters. And there's a feeling that somehow we are we are in a time that upends centuries of tradition. And we are in certain ways. But sometimes, like, watching these early films, things like this, things like Drunken Angel, we watched back in the Kira Kurosawa um, uh, uh, um, season. That, we went with his that was it, and I was I was thinking of it wasn't Seven Samurai. I was thinking of it was Drunken Angel. It was that Kurosawa? Um, and it, like, these, <laughs> it sounds terrible to say, but like somehow these films keep teaching me humility when it comes to my film knowledge and what I think of modern and old films. And whereas I think having been raised on old TV, which was very kind of. PC and very um, sort of I don't know inoffensive, but well, it was very offensive, but like not pushing the boundaries in terms of what it did or could do. I think sometimes we end up being arrogant about what we do know and don't know. And this was one of those films where I'm like, this just felt like it felt like somehow I'd wandered into a bizarre alternative world in which there were no happy endings, and that was brilliant. That really was brilliant. And I think the say all the characters, brilliant. You know, the, the, Silent film acting is hard because you've got no words. It's all in the faces, and these, in 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 the movie, they are all made up to look like sort of woodcut faces rather than sort of naturalistic faces. So there's already that another barrier in the way. But you really felt the sadness and the anger and and the the indignity of what was going on, and almost towards the end, desperation. Like you really felt the desperation in these characters, and I really really dug that. I really got on on board with that, and sort of they really bought into that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, 
This is not a very long film either. It's sort of mm. remarkable that so much gets done in this film with no dialogue and so little time to explore it. It just just think of sort of all the overblown baggy filmmaking you get nowadays and you think, well what what he's shown us here, what Fatigao has shown us here is that you don't need to spend two and three quarter hours tracking someone's mm. tragic life story when he's done it in just over an hour. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's lean and that makes it worthwhile. And it means that because the film's so lean that the action scenes, and, and that's often what we've been talking about over the next sort of 10 weeks, of they really stand out. And they were, I mean, you can see why the samurais were who they were. Um, the he he really holds his own in all his fights, um, be they one on one or one on forty, and I that was really I was really impressed with those. Um, obviously, come they come with you know an, a forced layer of abstraction because you are watching it often at the wrong because there wasn't a right frame rate and they can be a bit jerky, it can be a bit smooth, um, and there's a kind of a any, at some point, I suppose a Benny Hill esque nature to them because they're moving very fast, very slow. But for me, where other films of this era can at some point dissolve into being humorous because they have that that style here it didn't like you felt the fights were as desperate or as heroic as they wanted to be you really felt those the framing of where well, you, you pulled back i mean it, it's it's in i keep going the same fight this fight really blew me away that the sort of that we fight all the police mm. you know there's a, a brilliant video I'll put in the comments if I can find it, which talks about how people edit action films and fight scenes and how you know, people like um, Jackie Chan are edited different to modern, modern sort of Western fight scenes. But this, there was no editing. It was literally like a minute long take in which you're pulled back. You, you, you're sort of, you're sort of 30, 40 feet in the air. You're looking down the whole road and you just see this fight erupt and roll back and forth as he takes down one person, takes out another person. And then they, 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 they capture him and then he escapes and they capture him again. And it was just, it was so beautifully choreographed and that kind of pulling back and there's no cut, there's no hiding what was going on really, really was really impressive to me. Um, and it just meant that you, know, you were drawn so thin because it felt like it felt real. It didn't feel like somehow a presented action scene. It just felt like you're really watching a fight. Mm. Yeah. And it felt it felt like when struggling to articulate this, but when he would, because he was so effective in those fight scenes. When later on you saw him, it said Heisenberg has escaped the police or escaped his pursuers. And you think, I can believe that because I saw mm. him and it felt like he was winning that fight. It's not sort of a... In the way that you'd have, say, I know, a superhero film nowadays and it would be a, a cut to later on and there'd be sort of a bruise on his cheek and he'd... That that way, the editing would let you know that he won the fight, sort of thing. It was mm. it, it wasn't like that. There was, was there was a reality to the way the fight scenes were presented, but also the way that everything was presented. Yeah, they the establish his credentials, mm. and I think that's why, in many ways, the ending is is very brave um, and very very brilliant. Because when you've set someone up, like you know what, 
he is a hardcore samurai, he is a strong fighter, and he has honour. Like to take that and go, you know what, all that doesn't matter, he can still lose. And I think that's why the ending still sticks with me, and still impresses me. Because they can take this guy who is set up to be heroic, he's set up to be sort of to be the hero and to not get the girl and to lose everything. And not in a way where, like, the Marvel films where, you know, well, they lose, they don't really lose. In the end, they'll get it back. Like, you really feel at the end here that he's lost, he's gone. But he's done his time and he's moved on. Hmm. Yeah. I was, I mean, I, I was so pleased that it ended like this. And I, I did think there were several possible endings. And the other endings, it would have left me really quite unsatisfied because... Mm. One of the things it was moving towards, I thought, was him committing Harry Curry. And I thought, well, that would be... would just feel a bit of a... not an easier way out. But I suppose, sort yes. of, in terms of the film, it would have been an easy way out. Um, and then another ending would be that, sort of, Ocho could step in, or her husband could step in and, and stand up for him. And, and by far, the... The most most brutal was him coming to terms with the fact that he's a murderer and he mm. he can't live with himself anymore and he is therefore going to be captured by the police. There was something really he, really affecting about that. But it also felt it felt true. It felt like having known this guy. I mean, it's only six, only seventy four minutes, but having known this this character through that time, it felt true to him in a way that Harry Carey wouldn't, mm. um, or some sort of quite. It felt like you know, you know what he's he's reached that point. You know what he's he's on board with this, and it's it's right for that character to do this. Um, and to see a character through like that and to not give a happy ending, I, I was happy with that. So Sam, it is a nineteen twenty five black and white summary movie. But do you have recommendations for us? Yes. Well, I do have a couple. Um, and one, I, I kind of want to mention because um, it's the very antithesis of this film. It's a, it's a summer film based on a much earlier one. It's from 2013. It's 47 Ronin. And it stars Keanu Reeves among various Japanese actors. Um, but the thing the thing that struck me and I want to kind of set this up as like the antithesis of this film because it struck me when Heisberg was um, sort of excommunicated from the samurai school as it were, he became a Ronin and it it got, mm. it became really shameful. And that's something that you don't get in 47 Ronin. It's just sort of, these are sort of hired gun type mercenary outlaws and they don't mind being like that. And then they band together and and they fight to save the village. And you think, well, yes, that's good. But having seen Orochi, I've just, I've, I've seen so much more effective about how important it was for a samurai to be attached to a community of samurai rather than just sort of an independent fighter as you see in this this later it felt like a very sanitized version of the film. Mm. And my second one is sort of I suppose we've been talking about in in quite glowing terms about these very choreographed, almost balletic 
uh, scenes at the end of the film, fight scenes at the end of the film, and it reminded me of a number of things, and you've mentioned Touchdown from much later, um, and I wanted to mention here Enter the Dragon from 1973, um, as another, it, it probably the, it will be new to no one, but probably the best example of choreographed balletic fight scenes in mm. martial arts cinema it wouldn't be the prestige if I didn't at some point drop a, uh, a massive name dropping clanger no. um, but there was a, a day in my career in which I had to decide whether I wanted to go and work on gravity or go and work on foot and running right uh, they're both shot in London they're both shot in, in Pine Studios and I had met both the um, the heads of my apartments that morning and like, I had to sort of sit at lunch and which film do I want to do? And obviously, I chose Gravity. And I think I chose Gravity. You right chose there. right. It's not It's not a great film. Uh, though it would have been cool to meet Keanu, I would say. Yeah. My recommendations, I've got two of them, and they're both kind of on the same theme. As I mentioned earlier, this story of the lone travelling swordsman who, who puts his skills to good and bad use um, is one that is echoed through time and I want to pull up two times where I see this story echoing the first is uh, western movies so I think we'll touch on this more certainly but there's a a, a very strong thematic link from samurai movies to western movies um, they, they, there's a lot of, uh, sort of things that come up and obviously the remakes and things like Seven Samurai becoming Seven there's lots of links um, so I want to talk about uh, Clint Eastwood's film High Plains Drifter this is, if anyone's seen it, it is a very dark and very violent Western movie uh, about a stranger who comes into town uh, to right some wrongs um, and wrongs and rights, shall we say. Um, but it is very much of that man with a certain skill set who comes into town and uses that skill set to avenge people and defend people and, and kill people. So I think that's a, it's a very good movie. If you like that kind of roving story, um, there's a good, good theme there. My other movie is once again the same link. It's the same. It's the same story. It's the same ripple in the same pond. The same echo um, of this story, but in a very, very different way. And that's 1981's film Mad Max 2: The Road Warrior. It's a surprise no one has seen these films that there's a very western-esque feel to these Ozploitation movies, but this is the most thematically linked, you know. Mad Max, once again, at this point, is he's a stranger with a skill set who drifts into town um, and uses that skill set to help people, sometimes who don't deserve it, sometimes betrayed, and ends in a not-so-happy way. Um, but I think if you want to look at the echoes of this story through time and how this 1925 film, you can see its influence and how the same not even tropes, but the same story beats can ripple through time. Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, is is a brilliant movie and a brilliant example of that. Great. Well, we are continuing our martial arts season and next up we're looking at a film from the next decade. So we're moving chronologically and we'll move out of the silent movie era next time but our final journey into the silent movie era is with 1931's uh, let's try and pronounce the title 
Osurai Jirukashi Shoshi. Jirukishi Try again. Um, let's just go with Jirukishi the Rat from 1931. It's the only completely preserved silent film directed by Daseki Ito, who was a kind of a, a seminal director. Um, and there should be some interesting things to talk about as a result of Jirukishi the Rat from 1931. I would mention, folks, that uh, in our season four, we are switching to a fortnightly schedule. Both of us got, I've got young kids now, and we just can't keep up with doing this weekly. So I know some of you have mentioned in the past about wanting it to be more regular, and uh, we've had to take some breaks here and there. And this is us trying to make sure that we can get you a regular show. Um, it might mean it's every two weeks, but we'll make sure we will try and hit those two weeks rather than leaving you unknowing of what's going on. So we'll be back in two weeks with that movie. Until then, guys, you can find both of us online at Pretty Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys in two weeks.